Welcome to Christian Family Center. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy today's message as we preach on living, loving, walking, and influencing for Jesus. Be blessed. You know, our God reigns. Hallelujah. Our God reigns. We're really quiet. Our God reigns. You know, it was the Queen's Jubilee, I think, in the last week. And, you know, when everyone said, you know, long live the Queen, a nation rose up to its feet and said, long live the Queen. But you know what? We have a King that surpasses anything that that Queen can do. And I'm not talking down what she has done, but what I'm saying is we serve a mighty King. We love a mighty King, and we're loved by Him. And His heart is towards us. His favor is upon us. His thoughts for us are for good and not for evil. And so when we say, Hallelujah, or My God reigns, let's get excited because it's true. He reigns. I don't know about you, but... I want my God on the throne. I want my Jesus on the throne. I don't want any other person. I don't want any other spirit. I want Jesus on the throne. I want God on the throne. So when we cry out, my God reigns, it's like, yes, my God reigns. He's the God above all gods. Every other, You see, in some nations, they will accept God as a God so long as he's one of the others. But the moment, the moment a believer in one of those nations says that the God of the Christian, the God of Israel, is above every other God, they have an issue with that. But our God, truth, is above every other God. And it's reason to celebrate. It's reason to get excited. Come on. It is reason. My God reigns. Your God reigns. We see what a political party can do to a nation. You just look at Greece at the moment. You look at Egypt at the moment and the political situation in both those countries. The ruling party will determine what happens. The ruling party will usher in peace and stability and financial prosperity or the ruling party will usher in their mandate, their beliefs that keeps people bound, that takes people back to a certain place and will impoverish a nation. You see, that's the power of a ruling party. But our God reigns. Hello? Our God reigns and he tells us how he's going to reign. He tells us what his plans are. He tells us what our future is. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. My God reigns. Your God reigns. You see, when you read Psalm 111, and you can read from verse 1 all the way to the end, but in verse 7 it says, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. You see, our God is a faithful God. Not only does he reign, but he is also faithful. His love is towards us. He's created to his love for you and me knows no limits. God's love knows no limits. I know we say that we can learn to love other people unconditionally. But the truth is, there is always a limit to what we can love. But our God's love for us is unfaithful, is is faithful all the time. It's without limits. You see, his intentions towards us 
are for good and not for evil. God's faithful, his intention, his love, and his purpose for you and me is consistent. God hasn't changed his mandate. God hasn't changed his plan. God hasn't changed anything. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And our God says, I love you, my child. I sent my son to die on the cross for you. I have made a way back to me. I have given you what you need to accomplish all that I have called you to be. And when we look at this thread through the Bible, God's plan, God's purpose, God's intention for humanity, the Creator has always been desiring relationship with the created. Our God has always been desiring relationship with us. Our God wants us to glorify Him. Our God wants us to bring benefit to other people. And so as a church, we've been on a journey. And it's no surprise that when we pick up any, any point in time of the Israelite nation, any point in time when we go, let's see what God was doing with His people, we see the same theme being outworked. A consistent, faithful, loving Father wanting to accomplish all that He purposed, loving His people, and His people responding in whichever way they do. And we pick up the story in 538 BC. And the Jews have just been in exile for 70 years. And they're coming out of exile in dribs and drabs. To be truthful, there were three groups that came back out of captivity from Babylon into Jerusalem. And as we've journeyed over the last two weeks, we have touched on every one of these that Zerubbabel brings the first group back. And when they come back, they build an altar. They see the state of the temple. They see the state of their city. And it grieves them. And they know that everything comes out of worship to an almighty God. Everything comes out of glorifying God. Everything comes out of that point of going, Hallelujah. My God reigns. And so as they come back, they're not disturbed to the point that they cannot do anything, but rather they're disturbed to the point that it motivates them to do something. And they build an altar and they worship the King of all kings. They worship God Almighty. And immediately they start building the temple. But we understand the story. We spoke through this last week and the week before. The moment they start building, they find opposition come at them. They find things that distract them. And so they stop building. Just the foundation gets laid and nothing more gets built upon it. God sends Haggai and Zechariah as prophets to prophesy, to encourage the people about the need to complete his house. And so the prophets come. And two weeks ago, we, 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 we heard about Zechariah and how God used Zechariah to speak to a nation to bring them back into order, to bring them to a place 
where he had intended them to be all along so that they might build the temple. And in Zechariah 7 and 8, we see God's strategy start to unfold. We start to see that God rebukes them because they've made it all about religion and not about people. And the nation has to repent. We see further that he then reminds them, hey, how do you treat other people? Do you treat other people with compassion and with mercy and fairly? Do you love and is there kindness in your words and in your actions? And the Jewish nation has to respond. He then goes and says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you to a glory that will be better than the former glory. I'm going to give you something unseen. Oh yes, there was a temple that now lays in ruins that was a beautiful structure. But what I'm going to do with my presence, with the outpouring of my spirit, is it will be greater than the former. And he says that this will become a good city to grow up in and a good city to grow old in. And so the people start to rebuild. And then he says, the prophet says, guess what? There's going to be a result. People are going to come from afar and see what you're doing. And how you're bringing glory to the name of God and benefiting other people. And as they come from afar, they will bring glory to God for what they see. But not only will they bring glory to God, they will bring things with them to bless you for what you do. And so the people understand there's a reward. And so a nation that has an altar and a foundation finds themselves regrouping so that God can be glorified in his town. God can be glorified in their midst. And they complete this temple in 515 BC. And then 58 years later, Ezra brings the second group in. Ezra so the responsibility was to teach and to record history, the genealogy and all those sorts of things. So Ezra comes in with the second group and he starts to teach again. And then another 12 years later, 70 years after the temple is rebuilt, Nehemiah returns with the third and last group. Now Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian king. And if you don't know what a cupbearer is, that meant the king, before he ate anything or drank anything, it had to be tested. In those days, the king was always a target for being murdered or assassinated. And the cupbearer's job was to taste whatever the king wanted to drink and eat whatever the king wanted to eat. And if the cupbearer didn't die, it was safe for the king to eat. So he had a really responsible job. I know, it sucks to be Nehemiah if someone was trying to assassinate the king. But he had a responsible job. It was a trusted position that the man was actually going to eat the food and drink the juice. That he was prepared to give his life for the king. 
Nehemiah later becomes governor for all of Jerusalem. And this is where we reconnect with the Israelite story. This is where their journey and our journey seem to cross paths again. You see, to find themselves in a position of productiveness and effectiveness, the Jews are once again encouraged to regroup as they had done to align with God's purposes by completing the temple, now they find themselves being encouraged by Nehemiah to rebuild the the walls of the city and the gates of the city. So Zechariah comes along and God says, here's a strategy for you to move forward. And then along comes Nehemiah, and God uses Nehemiah twofold. Number one, to bring structure, walls, and a gate, gates. And secondly, to bring substance into the people that would dwell within the walls and the gates. When we look at the rebuilding of the walls, we see Nehemiah becomes aware of what had gone on. He became aware of the condition of his city. He became aware of the plight of his community to the point that the king of Persia sees him become sad and miserable and says to him, why are you this way? Why are you sad? Why are you miserable? To which he responds that my people, my place... Our community lays in ruins and the king releases him to be able to go and attend to what's happening in his community. You see, the temple was built, but nothing more and that the people had, nothing more had been done. The people had started to behave according to the pattern of the world around them again. The people had started to compromise and cohabit with other nations. They had started to allow what God had spoken to them through the prophet Zechariah. They had allowed what God had said, this is the order in which you must progress. This is the strategy. Over 70 years, they had started to move away from it. That Nehemiah finds them in a state where there are other nations' influences that had infiltrated their beliefs and their very being. And so they start to rebuild the walls of the city and the gates of the city. You see, if we get a picture, we live in a free country. When I immigrated from South Africa to here, one of the first things I noticed was that there were no fences, no gates, and no burglar bars on the windows. If you had come to visit me in South Africa, we had a fence with a gate that could lock. We had burglar proofing across all the windows, not just the ones that opened, but all of them. All the doors were locked. I remember when we arrived, we stayed with Cheryl's aunt in Helladon and going to the park in Helladon and going to the public toilets and finding toilet paper and finding power and finding lights. Not the sort of thing you find where we came from. And it blew my mind, the freedom that existed in this country, the free access, the, the, the ability to go, you know what, I don't have to, even when we were in Brisbane and, and lived in Forest Lake and Toowoomba, people would say, you don't need to lock your doors, it's all safe, 
around here. I can go to a couple of people's houses now and tell you where they hide the keys and unlock the doors and go in, if they were locked in the first place. And because we live in this country, we lose touch with the value of protection. We're lulled into a false sense of security, going, she'll be right, mate. It'll be good. It'll all be all right. But the truth is, here is a community that we exist in. The Whit Sundays, God has positioned us as a local church, together with other local churches in the Whit Sundays, for one purpose alone, to bring glory to His name and the benefit of other people. It is that God would shine in us and through us. He talks about, the Bible talks about, for I have set watchmen on the walls. Cool. There are people over here who would say, I am a watchman in the house of God. So what wall are you going to stand on? It's in ruins. Watchman needs a wall to stand on. He doesn't stand on the floor amongst the ruins playing hide and seek with the devil. He stands on the wall, on the highest tower, and he keeps watch over his community. And when he sees the enemy coming, he can sound the alarm. He blows a trumpet that rallies the people, that causes the gates to close and say, we're not like that and we're not allowing it in here. Or when they see hurt people approaching, that they open the gates and bring them in and have the medical people there to provide the care that's needed. Not that the gates always get closed. They get opened and closed. Open for trade. Closed for attack. Open for care. Closed for infiltration of the wrong sort. And God has put us as a church in the Whit Sundays to bring glory to His name and the benefit for others. And we built an altar 80 years ago as a local church. And we worship the King of Kings. And we built the foundation and we built the temple, but what is the state of the walls around our community? What is the condition of the doors? And are we doing what God's called us to do? You see, God can give strategy and we can strategize, but if we don't build the walls, that provide protection, that allows the ability from within inside the community there to be peace and prosperity, then everything's just... Take a bucket, put a whole lot of holes in it, put water in it and say to someone, here, please hold this, pour water and say to them, can you keep all the water in there for me? The water will just run out through the holes. We've got to block the holes. We need walls around our community. We need doors, gates... We need watchmen on the walls. So Nehemiah starts to rebuild. And and as we looked at Nehemiah's journey, we noticed that the first thing he does is leaves what's comfortable behind. You see, living in the palace, being the king's cupbearer, meant he ate what the king ate, he drank what the king drank, and kind of lived close to where the king lived. Even though he wasn't royalty, he was treated like royalty. 
And he had to leave that behind. He had to leave something valuable behind. He had to leave what he had known behind so that he might go and do what God called him to do. And the Bible says he set a time. He didn't just go, you know what? My people lay in ruins. The walls of the city lay in ruins. But you know what? I'm prepared to leave this king of Persia. I'm prepared to leave all of this King Artaxerxes. I'm prepared to leave it, but not just yet. Not just yet. I know what I need to do, but it's not yet. I don't know about you, but who's ever said, oh, next week I'm going to lose some weight. Next week I'm going to exercise. Next week I'm going to start to go to bed early. Next week I'm going to do this. Next week I'm going to do that. Does it ever arrive? Next week means not, not, at no time. See, next week doesn't exist. Because next week it's next week. And next week it's next week. And the next week it's next week. And the next week it's next week. Next week doesn't have time. Next week means nothing. But if I say, on the 1st of July, 2012, I will start to change my eating habits. I will start to do something about sleeping better. I will start to do something about exercising more. Then we have a date. We've set a time. And you know what? God being outside of time sets time. And God set a time that he created man. And God set a time to send his son. And God has set a time that only he knows that he will be returning, that he will be sending his son to come and take us home. And in the time between creation, the son, and God sending Jesus to come and take us, we have a mandate. We have a responsibility. God's told us to go and do something. And so we too have to set a time. I saw this joke. Uh, someone bought someone this little round thing and they put to it, T U I it, on it, on this little round stone. And uh, in the joke, it actually says the person kept saying, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it. When are you going to do this? I'll get around to it. When are we going to start evangelizing? I'll get around to it. When are we going to start caring? I'll get around to it. So this person brought him around to it and said, now that you've got your round to it, how about let's do it? God is giving us our round to it this morning and saying, there you go, you've got your round to it. Now, go out and do what you're meant to do. Rebuild the walls, build the gates and get into position because there's a city to protect. There's a city that God wants to do something in. So he sets the time. God gives him the resources. God's favor rests with him. You know, just uh, we've got our 80th birthday next week. And um, we applied to the Whitsunday Regional Council for a $3,000 grant to help us uh, fund the Saturday day. We want to do a couple of crazy, entertaining sort of things. And on Thursday, we get a, I got a phone call from a lady saying, guess what? You've got the grant. You've got $3,000 to spend on Saturday. And I'm going, yes. Thank you, Jesus. You see, God gives the provision. Through the local church, there's giving. But God goes, you know what? I'll give you some extra. I'll give you some more. So you can't just do the ordinary, but I'm going to bless you with more that you can do the super ordinary. And everyone's running around now trying to do the paperwork so that we can do the event on Saturday. 
But it's cool. We've got the money. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And we're going to have an awesome day on Saturday. Nehemiah got a word from God. Something quickened within him. You see, when Nehemiah was there and he was out there looking at the mess, God gave him a word in his heart. Not just an ordinary red word from the Bible, R-E-A-D, red, not R-E-D, the color, but a red word from the Bible. Not a Logos word, but a Rima word. You know, Nehemiah got a quickened word in his heart from God to say, go do this. And Nehemiah responds. He leaves what he's doing. He sets the time. He gets given the resources. God gives him a word. And then in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, Nehemiah says, you know what? I'm going to rebuild. And the Bible says, and they said, let's rebuild. And that's where we kind of sort of finished church last Sunday. Is that we said, God is with us. God is for us. God wants to prosper his local church. God wants the bride of Christ to be without spot and blemish. And he wants her to be about his business. So I'm saying, let's rebuild. And everyone else says, Oh, I must be preaching really badly. Always scared of the work coming. Hello. We're scared of the work coming. So I sit here and I stand. Pastor Dolph, do you want to come stand up the front here with me, please? Rochelle, do you want to come stand up the front here? Uh, I'll get Alina up and so I've got a couple of ladies. Just lock your arms like that. Like that. Where's Alina? I want to give you a visual. All right, we're not going to play tug of war because you'll rip me in half. Okay, so we say, let's rebuild. What do you say? Oh, come on. This one person. Let's rebuild. Oh, come on. Let's rebuild. Thank you. Thank you. You see, one person can only cover that much. Four people can cover more. When we say, yes, we can see God in this. We can see his hand. Then we say, let's rebuild. If I start walking out here, and there's no one walking, working with me. I'm just a bloke taking a walk all by himself. And I'm not into taking a walk by myself. I like people around me. I want to walk with people. Come on. Let's rebuild. And you know what? If we got it wrong, guess what? We still brought glory to his name and we benefited other people. What's wrong with that? but we haven't because God's heart is for his creation God's heart is for humanity God's heart's for our community God wants to see people restored in relationship to him I've said this for three years I will say it until I breathe my last breath the local church is not a bunker for believers but a hospital for the hurting and I pray God bring the hurting in the drug people he brings those addicted to things he brings the emotionally disturbed torn and scarred people in. That church becomes a mess so that God can bring order into lives and that church would be in order. I just need to warn you. Don't get too comfortable in your seats. 
Because opposition's going to come and the broken are going to come. Can you handle a drunk walking through that door yelling profanity to the name of Jesus and calling me whatever name he wants to call me just because I happen to be standing up here? Could you handle that? I ask myself the question. Every, every bit of my South African police training wants to take him out. Squish. We've got two coppers here. We can just put them on. Fetch them. Well, we'll give them Jesse first. We'll save the big guns for last. I've got a back row over there of people that are going, Uncle Gordon's going, come on, bring it on. I'll show them. But my belief is that somewhere between that back door and over here, because of the love that flows and the faith that is formed, that that person will hit the floor because of the Holy Spirit and be saved. And transformed. We can believe it. You're sitting looking at me going, oh, really? Really? Oh, I can tell you, seven will come in with nothing happening and being an absolute disturbance that Uncle Barry will have to walk them out and sort them out in the back there. Or Pastor Dolph would have to take them to the corner and just gently quieten them down. But at some point, God will see the love in us. God will see the faith in us and he will respond to our hearts. I say, let's rebuild. Oh, we got half. I say, let's rebuild. Yeah, you're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to sweat. Nehemiah, whoops, time. Nehemiah had a mammoth task of rebuilding the walls. But you know what? Because of the strategy that God had given him. Because the people said, let's do this thing together. In 52 days, it was done. In 52 days, it was done. And the reason that it was done is because they worked together and God went, bang, let me put my Holy Spirit upon it. And the nations around them, without them having to fight a single fight, retreated scared. Because they saw what God had done. When people dwell together in unity, they saw what God did. Oh, Nehemiah had opposition. From the outside, uh, there was a whole lot of things going on. He was ridiculed. He was intimidated. He was attacked. They tried to use fear. They tried to use deception. They tried to send a false prophet. All to try and intimidate and take Nehemiah off the course that God had for him. To take a nation away from the purposes There was even opposition from inside because the people had started grumbling and moaning because, oh, we're going to do this again. Oh, I'm tired of doing this. Oh, here we go again. Sound a bit like church life? And also, there was starvation because the nobles then went, well, we can start to get taxes again. We can start to tax the people. So the people had to go out to work in the fields, but because they weren't allowed out to work in the fields, they had to build the wall. It meant they didn't have money. It meant they didn't have food. It meant they were starting to starve to death. 
And so Nehemiah says, Oi, what are you doing? Why are you sitting around and they're having to work this hard and you've got the money for food and they don't? What are you doing about looking after them? And so Nehemiah rouses them a little and sorts it out. But despite the opposition, the building continues. Despite the opposition, we actually see things start to happen. And it is completed. Strategy outworked brings structure. And the last thing we look at is chapter 7 through 13 in the 10 minutes that are left. And we see substance, God's heart was to put substance back into people. God's heart was that the structure would be in place, but that there would be a substance that filled in. And we see in chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, that leaders are put in place. Guards are appointed, singers are appointed, and different people are positioned to serve. And today as we, as we stand here going, God, you are a God of substance. And God, you want to fill your church with your substance. Then we've got to look at what did Nehemiah do. You see, it took Nehemiah, oh, how many days? It took Nehemiah 52 days to build the temple with the people. But it took Nehemiah's whole life. It took the whole of Nehemiah's life. the whole of Nehemiah's life to rebuild the people because he was there working at it and then he left and then he came back and he found they had gone back to the old ways and he had to help them forward again. You see, God positions people to serve. God positions every single one of us. If this is your home, you are not here by mistake. It's not an accident that Bowen Christian Family Center is your spiritual house. God has given you natural abilities, gifts, and talents, and like Nehemiah, positions the people to serve. God has positioned you and me to serve. When I look at a ballet dancer, what makes a ballet dancer beautiful? It's because she has two legs, two arms, a torso and a head, and everything moves together beautifully to the music. She can hear. She can see. And I do not want to make light of someone with a disability, but can you imagine the blind, deaf, one-legged ballerina? I can't. I'm not making light of a disability here. She can't function as a body. How do we function? What do we look like as the local church? Are we a blind, deaf, one-legged ballerina, or do we have all our parts, every bit working and every bit working together at the same time to the same beat? to show the grace and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and the effectiveness of what he is doing. God gives us ministry gifts. He gives us manifestation gifts of his Holy Spirit. He gives us motivational gifts. 
1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, if you want to go home and read them. God gives this to us and gives them to the church that the body may be complete and edified and encouraged and built up that she might accomplish all God's called her to be. A moment ago, we all said, let's build. Cool. Well, you're part of a body and we need every single part of it to build. You can't just say, let's build, and then sit down and watch. Who appointed you the oversight? Because his name is Jesus. Jesus is the oversight of the building. The Bible says if God doesn't build the house, we labor in vain. God and Jesus are there overseeing the building. They sit on their thrones overseeing what's happening. We build, and we build with them. Are you positioned to serve? Every single one of you, including me, has, a, has talents and abilities and God-given gifts and Holy Spirit gifts. What are you doing with them? Part of after the walls were rebuilt, putting the substance into a nation the first thing Nehemiah does is positions people to serve. Now just think about it for a moment. Nehemiah said, okay, cool. You're a musician, back on your spot. You're a singer, back in your spot. You're a musician, you're a prayer, you're a God, you're a this. You get on the tower again. You're a worshiper, you're a carer. And we read it in the Bible and go, it's a cool story. Okay, so... You do the work of an evangelist, you do the work of caring, you do missions. Moment I start walking around touching people, telling you what to do, you're going to go, who do you think you are? God die and make you him? I don't know. It's the question. God positions every single one of us to serve. And we, I said, let's build, and we said, let's build. So I'm saying I'm here to serve. So we say we're here to serve. There is no two of us that is identical. The closest thing to me is my son. Jason is the closest thing you'll see to me, but he has of his mother in him as well and of himself. Things that make him unique. So even the person that could be the closest to me is not like me. None of us are the same. We're similar, but we serve the same God. And we serve the same purpose. And we're dancing to the same tune. We're singing from the same song sheet. We're here to accomplish the same thing. Bring God glory and benefit other people by sharing the gospel, by preaching Christ crucified, by telling them the good news that there is life after death and that the life that you live after death can be good or bad. And the choice you make now determines that. So the first thing it does is position people to serve. The next thing in verse 4 of chapter 7, it actually says that the city was large, but there were not many people in it, and the houses had not been rebuilt. It tells me that there was place to grow. 
And even though they had accomplished the temple, even though they had accomplished the structure, the strategy, and the structure was in place, Nehemiah still records in chapter 7, verse 4, that the city was large, but there were not many people in it, and the houses were not rebuilt. I got excited when I read that, because you can read that, the glass is half empty or the glass is half full. It could be a sad moment saying, not all the Jews had returned, that's why there was space. But when I read this in preparation, God quickened in my heart an excitement going, yes, it's like my church, it's like our church, there's place to grow. And as I read it, I read in Nehemiah saying, come on, let's see the space and fill it. And the encouragement to you and me today is there's place to grow. We haven't filled these benches and when we do, I've got 80 chairs I can pack out the back. When we fill that, we can build another building or hire a tent or do something. There is place to grow. And in our community, there's 10 churches, but they all look like this church, half full. There's place to grow. And we can look at it and lament and go, oh, look how empty the church is. Or we can say, God, thank you for the place to grow. Jesus said the fields are white with harvest. They're ready. There are people out there ready to receive the gospel. We've just bunkered as believers in case a storm comes. There's place to grow. Let's get out. And fill the house of God. And when you look at what Nehemiah was writing over here, you start to understand. He was sad because there were people that once should have lived there, did live there, that were so happy living in captivity or coming out of captivity but loved the lifestyle, they didn't want to come back. You and I, if we've been here long enough, would all know at least one person who used to sit in a bench here, but now finds themselves sitting out there. His place to grow. Let's bring them in. The harvest and the prodigal sons and daughters. The third one, you can read chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. And he talks about Ezra teaching the word, the book of Moses. He taught the first five books of the Bible, as we know it, to all the people. And the people responded to the hearing of the preaching of the word, and they wanted to mourn and repent. And he says, no, don't. It's the feast of trumpets. There is a feast of joy. As you hear the word, celebrate what God has done. Don't go lie on the floor and play dead. Get up and celebrate God. Celebrate what he has done. Celebrate his faithfulness. Be filled with joy at the teaching of the word. And it's interesting to read, as you read chapter 8, that it's the first time that the Feast of Tabernacles, which is important to them back then, is correctly followed since Joshua's death. We're talking about the Joshua who followed Moses. In his time, the Feast of Tabernacles was held correctly. But after him, hundreds of years it transpired without it being followed correctly. And for the first time, They do it right. 
You see, there was a preparation through the reading and teaching of the word. A preparation came. They were positioned, there was place, and a preparedness came. If you're going to be offended, put your force field on now. When last did you spend time with God reading his word? Not Joyce Meyer's books. Not Andy Stanley's books. But his book. And I've said this before. I have an extensive library in my office. I love reading people's opinions on a certain matter. What people have discovered on a certain matter. But that's all it is. It's their discovery and it's their opinion. when we actually have the book that contains all the answers. Part of substance into a nation was them being positioned to serve, them having a place to grow, and the preparedness or preparation that came through the reading of the word and the teaching of the word. By coming to church, by attending a life group, by going to youth, by studying with someone, by a personal discipline of reading the Bible. And the last one is all of chapter 13. He said, Nehemiah said, look, if you want substance in yourself as a nation, then I'm going to position you. I'm going to make sure there's place to grow. I'm going to encourage you in preparedness through the teaching and reading of the word. And the fourth thing he does is he highlights the pitfalls. Now when you read chapter 13, Nehemiah had gone back to serve the king. And then he finds out that there's a mess going on back in Jerusalem. So he gets leave to come back. And when he comes back, he finds them behaving like they had behaved before. And he highlights a whole lot of things that they were doing wrong. Now for you and me here today, we can turn it around. We have the insight of what human nature is like. We have the insight of what Nehemiah and the nation of Israel Israel did. And we can learn from it. Why do we want to make the same mistakes? Why do we want to go, you know what? I don't care. You know, I say to my son, don't drive through a red light. You're going to get a traffic. You'll get a traffic fine and you'll lose three points. And he goes, what does dad know? Let me see if this is true. And he drives through a red light. What do you call that? Stupidity. Yeah. He's not stupid. He's adorable. But that's stupid behavior. You say to a child, you see that plate? It's hot. Don't put your hand on it. Just to test whether mum and dad were telling me the truth. Think of parents with kids. You do that, I'm going to have to smack you. So the kid does it just to see if you're right. So we've got two choices here. Either learn from the Israelite nation or go feel it for yourself. Now, you just agreed with me all those scenarios, the people were stupid. 
in their behaviour. But then we're hypocritical when we behave the same way. And so I've turned the words around to say, for us today, here are some pitfalls to prevent. If we've been positioned to serve, we understand there's place to grow, and we're prepared through the reading of the word and teaching, then here are five pitfalls to prevent as we wrap the message. Number one, he corrects the arrangement of the priest made with a guy who tried to intimidate him with a, as a false, with a false prophet. So they allow, Nehemiah comes back and he finds this guy who was part of the scheming plan of opposition against the Israelites in the house of God, setting up his stuff in one of the rooms. And Nehemiah goes, what the heck's going on here? You are our enemy, out. When the way I read that, that's partnerships. Who do we as a church partner with? Who do you as an individual partner with? The people you hang around with will influence you. What partnerships do you have in your life that need to go? But they're just going to drag you back to a past place. Same for us corporately as a church. The second thing is, he corrects the lack of giving. Because they had stopped giving or weren't giving appropriately, the singers and the Levites and everyone had to go back. And he comes back and he says, so where's everybody? And they say, oh, well, they're in the field working. Why are they in the field working? Because the people aren't giving. So he has to call everyone's attention and say, oi, come on, give. These guys belong here in the house of the Lord, serving. They need to be here to be able to provide for you. You need them to be in the house, so give. And give according to the way I've set it out. And I'm not using that as a message this morning to go, oh, what's Dwayne's agenda? My agenda is nothing. Your giving is between you and God. You are released to give according to the intent of your heart as the Holy Spirit lays upon you. But I know the Holy Spirit will bring what's from God to you. He's going to be obedient. And he says, it's a pitfall to prevent. Be careful of your partnerships and watch your giving. The third one, he actually then corrects the positioning of the different roles. He says, so where are the guards? Where's the watchmen? Where's the singers? And he has to go and do the same thing again. Go and fetch the people and say, come on, you come and be here. You're here, you're here, you're here. So one of the pitfalls to prevent is serving. That we don't become a church that just sits down and comes to church every Sunday morning and goes, feed me, feed me. And we keep getting bigger and bigger. Fed me. Sing me more songs. Sing me new songs. Change the color of the building. Oh, we've had that cross up on the wall for four weeks now. Change the decor. Give us better coffee. Otherwise, we won't come back. Come on. Dance for me, pastor. Dance for me, church team. Mm, that was a bit strong. We should all be serving. And he says, be careful. You see, they had stopped serving. They had stopped giving. And they allowed the enemy to come and live in the temple. The other thing he corrects is their behavior on the Sabbath. And he says, what are you doing on Sundays? Their Sabbath, our Sundays. What are you doing? 
you're treating it really badly. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Sunday morning. Now, remember, I said last week, if you're driving up here on the way to church and there's someone in distress, your responsibility as a believer is to help that person because who knows, through it, they might get saved. But when you go, I need a mental health day, I'll take Sunday off. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I'll leave that one there. The Holy Spirit can do the rest. And the last one in finishing up is he corrects them from marrying foreign women and he corrects the allowing of mixed marriages. And and I'm not going to speak into that, but I take out of that and what's relevant for us is Nehemiah actually says, look at King Solomon, the wisest man who ever has lived and God said, whoever will live was dumb enough to allow a woman from other nations into his, into his house. And they brought their idols and their forms of worship with them. And you find that in this glorious temple built to bring glory to God, Asherah poles, idols exist. And so these other idols coexist with the worshipping of God. Solomon just wanted to keep his wives happy. He had a whole bunch of them and 600 concubines. And he wanted to keep them happy, so he let them bring whatever they wanted into the house of God. What is the, how is that relevant for you and me? Solomon allowed outside influence. Solomon allowed worldly influence to dictate what happened in the house of God. Solomon allowed worldly influence to dictate what was happening in him. We need to be careful. You know what? There's nothing wrong with a car. I'm not going to drive ladies back into skirts and bonnets. It's not what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with a car. It helps us get from point A to B quicker. There's nothing wrong with the internet. It helps us access information easier. Technology is good. God is good. But we've got to be careful when we bring world views into the house of God and water down the gospel because we want them to mix so that people would like what they hear and what they see. We've got to be really careful of that. And Nehemiah addresses that issue with them. And as I was preparing, that's what God's brought to my attention. It's got nothing to do with the actual marriages of people today. What it's got to do with is who in your life are you bringing in? What worldly influences are you allowing in your life that are polluting your worship of God? What worldly influences are we allowing into the house of God that is polluting our worship of God? And so he warns them. He warns them of his pitfalls. Why? Because having God given the nation the strategy, God having used Nehemiah and the people to rebuild structure, Nehemiah spent the rest of his life putting substance back into the people. Nehemiah 
and God and the people built the walls, and then God, Nehemiah, and the leadership and the people rebuilt the people. If you and I want substance to exist within us, be careful of who you partner with. Watch your giving. Make sure you're serving. Remember church order and be aware of worldly influences. You see, we're positioned to serve a king. We have place to grow. Look around you. We're prepared because we can read his word and be taught his word. And we've got some pitfalls we can prevent. Won't you stand with me, please? Pastor Dolph said at the beginning of this morning, Jesus gave his all for us, his life and his spirit. Are we prepared to do the same? Give him our all. That in living, it would be said of us as believers, now there was a church that gave its all. Now there were believers of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave their all. My heart's cry. And I know Pastor Dolph, as God used him this morning, is the same that it would be said of us. There were people who gave their all. Could I encourage you this morning, take your position. Let's fill the place. Let's get prepared. And let's prevent the pitfalls. And to God be all the glory. Amen. You've just heard another great message from Christian Family Center. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions about today's message or Christian Family Center, feel free to email us at info at whitsundayacc.com.au or call us on 07 4786 5555. See you next week.